Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, here's something, by the way. Uh, I got an email and something that I always thought, and I suppose stupidly of me, I suppose my own ignorance, thought that anorexia nervosa was something primarily that when you discuss it on air, you interview and you talk to women. Um, but on this particular occasion, I want to talk to Shane and Shane Cray. Uh, good afternoon to you, Shane. Good morning, Al. How are you doing? Shane, am I wrong in thinking that, you know, that in my own head, my own ignorance, I would assume that when you're talking about a topic like this, you would always think of women. You don't think of men, sure you don't. No, not really. I mean, with eating disorders in general, I mean, 10% of cases are males. So we're really kind of undervalued in that kind of community for mental health. There's kind of a stigma towards that sort of idea that males yeah. would have an eating disorder. Yeah. And, you know, we're always kind of seen as, well, not always, but like in majority of cases, we could be seen as being sporty or... You know, we we couldn't associate. We, lo- we love our food, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Can't associate being skinny with a mental health condition in that slant. I mean, you're yeah. tw- you're 22. I mean, yeah. when did you notice first that? And I, again, if I, if any of this come across as being ignorant mm-hmm. or uneducated on the matter, you can just correct me straight away. Oh, no, but, no, no, no. But, but like, I mean, this kind of I suppose psychological fear of eating or yeah. getting bigger I suppose or this I, I suppose it's a body image thing was it a, is it a body image thing as well for you was that what it was you look in the mirror yeah. and you think I'm too big I shouldn't look like this I should eat less or I should vomit every now and again or whatever it happens I mean when was when was that point that you first noticed that so basically when it started for me was uh, towards the end of 2015 after losing my grandfather and a lot of eating disorders are trying to cope with emotional distress. So we use weight and, you know, our relationship with food to hide emotion. But it's never uh, an immediate kind of factor that leads to you being like, oh, I have anorexia nervosa. And eating disorders in, in itself are a conjunction of bulimia, which is the voluntary forcing yourself to get sick. You have body dysmorphia, which is your own perception of your body having minor or major defects that mightn't be there. And then you have Obviously, anorexia, which is the forceful cutting down of weight or the need to cut down of weight. And for me, I don't think... And, and sorry for interrupting, mm-hmm. but so the difference between bulimia and anorexia nervosa for people listening would be yeah. that anorexia, you're making a physical effort to purge your food. In other words, you want to go and vomit every time you eat. Uh, but um, with anorexia nervosa, at that point, you've got to a psychological point where you're just not eating anymore. Is, is that the difference? Yeah, so with anorexia, you know, there's the physical side of it that you, you're you not really conscious of trying to restrict food sometimes. Some people would be underweight and maintain it. But with anorexia nervosa, there's a huge psychological element to it. There's huge mind games that play into it. So it's your idea that you judge yourself worse based on your shape or weight and your ability to control it. It's like it's a compensating behavior. And, and what weight were you, Shane, uh, you know, at the, at the, the point, at the, at, at the worst, yeah? Yeah, so I was 54 kg at 6 foot, which is a considerably low BMI, oh well below 18.5. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Um, but that was coming close to leaving cert. So and again, was, and was there, were other people noticing it, you know, like friends, yeah. family, 
were they noticing you losing weight and saying, you know, Shane, you want to start getting something into you there? Or, you know, I, I suppose people yeah. make off-the-cuff remarks. My mother would say, God, that fella needs a good stew in him. You know, those kind of off-the-cuff remarks. Were people starting to notice that you were losing weight or did you discuss the problem with family members and friends? It's actually funny that you said that because it was actually a doctor that said to me, you know, you need to eat more potatoes. Yeah. You know, that there was no idea that, oh, he could be anorexic. Because when... I kind of started losing the weight. It was more seen that it was associated with sport or the stress of leaving cert. Yeah. And there's a whole idea that, you know, it's impossible for him to have an eating disorder. So it's very quantitative in the way you see people lose weight, but you can't see the qualitative side, which is inside their mind. I mean, I'm, I'm not making it into a sexism thing, but do you think because we hear from it more with women, do you think women are taken more seriously than men when it comes to that? Because we just assume that men don't get this kind of thing or this doesn't happen to young boys. Yeah. Or, I mean, I know that women, obviously, the, the body image, particularly in an all-girls school mm. or when they're competing, and it is a big problem, unfortunately, the media play a huge role in that, magazines and stuff yeah. like that, uh, and Instagram and all this kind of thing. I mean, do you, do you think it is a bigger problem for women, isn't it? Yeah, I feel as if, in terms of seriousness, it's on the same scale, but I think it's because men have an issue with talking yeah. more so than like women are, are they're, they're great for being able to express emotions and be able to get out this issue. And again, eating disorders are very based on your emotions. So I feel like that, you know, in, in terms of following the stigma, it's just the idea that males may be more hesitant in getting it out there and in, in afraid that they'd be treated differently in terms of sport or social outings or within their group, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, would you go out for a meal with friends? Um, you know, I mean, if you're going out, say, for dinner with a date mm. or something like that, you know, what would you do? Well, I mean, would you just sit out there and kind of just not order very much? Or would you eat everything and then just go into the bathroom and purge it again? So, I suppose this kind of ties into a lot with the signs and symptoms of anorexia. You know, there's a lot of um, restricting foods and different food groups. So, you have a high... Um, frequency of restricting carbohydrates or, you know, um, risk of bulimia or the idea of losing weight. So when you go out to eat, the idea is you get the cleanest food there, the one with the lowest calories. Right. You know, and it does cause a severe amount of anxiety because when I was at my peak in 2016, 2017, I mean, going out to eat was honestly something that you thought when you woke up, if you if, say you had a celebration like your birthday, the week before you'd plan, what am I going to eat that day or where are we going to go? My and gosh. then you make sure to starve yourself. A huge amount, there was a huge amount of effort in being unwell. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when you think about it. And were you avoiding uh, social occasions where you would have to eat? Or were you, um, you know, was that something you were conscious of? I was very tactical in always saying that I would, say if it was like with my friends going to eat, I'd say, oh, I had something beforehand. So I might just right, get okay. like, yeah, okay. you know, salad or small soup or something like that, or just not eat. Right. You know, which but, is something. But, mm-hmm. but you were eating enough to keep yourself alive, thankfully. Um, and yeah, you were getting. I mean, obviously, you must have felt tired and weak as well, did you? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of trying to keep myself alive, um, when you're eating, that's not really like your concern. Sometimes it's kind of weird that way. So you you kind of just focus on losing the weight and maintain the lowest point. But lo- the lowest point doesn't mean you're maintaining your life standard or the quality of life. So when I was at my lowest point, with that, I had uh, severe bleeding gums. So whenever I touched my my gums, it would just start pulsating blood. And that was because such a high lack of vitamin C. And then with that, there is issues with my stomach. You go to bed starving. You feel tired all the time. You can't exercise. And then you start getting those low mood swings. And a lot of that does link into depression. So, for instance, when you have an eating disorder, 
not uncommon that they prescribe you antidepressants. Well, let me let me just try and get into your head from that time. I mean, you you were a young man, and I'm assuming a reasonably intelligent young man. Yeah. So you knew that you were doing harm to your body because you're bleeding gums and mm-hmm. and the way you felt weak and you you lack energy and you probably slept quite a lot and so so you yeah. knew the damage you were doing to your body. So what stops a human being because we have an instinct for self preservation? That's yeah. what we have. So what stops a human being saying? I'm unwell. I know why I'm unwell because I'm not eating properly. I know I have a problem. So why don't I just fix it? I know that's a very simplistic question. Mm. But I mean, does self-preservation not just kick in and say, I need to sit down and eat eat a dinner? That's that's the amazing thing about mental health conditions and eating disorders, that they're very unique but universal at the same time. We we can all kind of, you know... Um, associate someone we know or ourselves or a relative that may have a mental health condition, but each one is very different from each other. Uh, especially with my condition, I felt the motivation for me to keep going to lose weight was whenever I stepped on that scale, I saw the weight just drop off or maintain that at the lowest point. I, I, I didn't care if it would make me feel tired. I didn't care if it made me feel sick. I didn't care if I got referred to hospital. I was going to maintain that weight. And I know it reached its crescendo, its, its high point when uh, I was very weak and I fainted and I was brought into a GP and then I was referred to hospital. Yeah, because, and, if uh, I, because if I don't eat for a few hours, well, mm-hmm. I, I'm really bad at eating in the mornings, mind you. I, I tend not to have breakfasts and so that and I tend to wait till about one o'clock before mm-hmm. I eat. But if I don't eat, I, I start to feel dizzy. You, you yeah. get a sugar drop, as I call it. And, you know, you, you just need something fairly quick. Otherwise, you're, you're probably going to faint or collapse. Yeah. So you must have felt like that all the time. You feel like that quite often, but then it's like your body adjusts. So, like, you know, it's like the survival mode of your body. You're able to adjust to different scenarios. Right, okay. But you still do get those instances where you could faint, get lightheaded and could collapse. They will always be there. But you don't really care about that when you have anorexia, you know? So who did you share your problem with first? I mean, who did you speak to first about it? So, uh, for, well, it took me quite a long time to speak about it. It took me a year before I kind of like saw the signs coming. But the first person I spoke to was uh, my mother and father. So I remember it was an instance... Where behind my house there is a river that I used to always take my dog for a run or a walk. And there was this bend in the river that I would never stop at because I always made it my goal to run past it. And this one evening in particular, I just stopped by that river. And I made the decision, I was very close to jumping in that river and ending my life. But the only thing that stopped me was my dog that was with me. And I remember I, I came back home and I said to my, my mom, I was like, oh, you know, we have to do something. I this is what happened, you know, on the walk. I I tried to take my own life. And oh, sorry to hear that. I mean, I'm sorry uh, no, to hear that. Any situation, I yeah, would bring I mean, you like, to that. That's, that's the thing. Like being able yeah. to talk about it, it is the reality of it. You know, we we can't just hide from it. it. Is the truth, and it is the unfortunate truth. But at the same time, if I didn't talk about it, I would have done it another time. You wouldn't. Or, yeah, you wouldn't be here yeah, today. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, so, and this is why it's so important that we get that out there, particularly when it comes to men. Um, not just with anorexia or anything. Men have a really difficult, a huge difficult time talking to people and reaching out. Women, you're right, women in their social groups tend to talk more. But yeah. men, and it comes, that's with everything, with domestic violence, with everything, men have a problem in actually 100%. reaching out. Because it's a kind of macho thing, isn't it? You know, we're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, lads, yeah. you know what I mean? That doesn't happen to us, we're lads, you know what I mean? I mean, and, you know, is there enough treatment? When you said you went to the hospital mm-hmm. and, you know, the doctor told you you should eat a few spuds or whatever it is, and as my mother would said, you need a good stew inside you or whatever. Yeah. I mean, do you believe there's enough treatment for, with anorexia? Are you taken seriously enough? I mean, I've heard that many general hospitals, for example, don't treat anorexia, mm-hmm. meaning many are kind of forced to go into, I suppose, expensive private facilities. 
that's a big issue because um, you know you have inpatient and outpatient care for eating disorders, and so inpatient would be psychiatric hospitals, and of course that's St. Patrick's up in Dublin, you know. Yeah. And you have outpatients which are clinics or psychiatrists. The big issue with that is a lot of them are privatized. So um, if you take, for instance, Dublin, because there's like quite a lot of competition for psychiatrists and they have their own fee-for-service basis, that often enough, you know, attending these clinics could cost more than your rent. And I remember reading in a, a paper that it exceeded 425 euro for a clinician to visit per month. My gosh. And, and that's not including medication, you know? So if you, if you put in that perspective, you kind of think, how are you meant to afford it? Now, there, there are great schemes. There's there's scheme for pay for what you can. Which is basically, they try and subsidize how much you can pay for urgent care. And there's other organizations like BodyWise who are brilliant, and which I availed of, and mm-hmm. they're able to help me with um, behavioral therapy and for nutritional rehab. But again, there's, there's dietitians that are highly involved in the private sector in hospitals and again that comes with a huge burden of cost if you don't have private health insurance yeah of so course it is yeah. a very complicated mix and, and again, is it, it it is covered under private health insurance if you do have private health insurance is it yeah, like i'm not too sure if it's fully covered now you do get payback on some uh, occasions but there is a, a front fee if you get me you have to put up the money so you have to have the money at first and um, then okay and what's the success right i mean when you go and you do eventually mm-hmm. get seen to and treated in some way um, what is the success rate of both the psychological aspect of it and also the physical aspect? I mean, uh, pardon my ignorance again, but do you mm. have to go on a drip? Um, you know, do they have to tube feed people? I mean, how? I mean, what point do you have to get to before they start tube feeding yeah, people? Yeah, it's very different. So the way it kind of works is, again, they want to maintain a healthy weight and good mental state before diving into the psychological aspect because, again, they don't want uh, to trigger again or for you to relapse. So there's a huge emphasis on trying to um, have a nutritional rehabilitation for you to trace back why you have a bad relationship with food and try and prove it. And that's where the dietitian comes in as well. So they try to give you different foods to try or double your portions, like give you small goals and increments. Did you like the taste of food, Shane? Was there something wrong with the taste of food? Oh, God, no. I mean, I'm huge into food. I always loved it. Okay, so it, was, it wasn't that, you know, and I know some people maybe have tried to be vegan and it didn't work yeah. out for them or whatever, that kind of stuff, or they just didn't like the taste of meat or whatever. I mean, so th- there was nothing wrong with the taste of food per se. That was just a psychological block that you just didn't yeah, want to get it, any bigger. Exactly. It's the psychological part where you just want to lose weight constantly. And mm-hmm. it's it's crap when you you like food because you keep thinking, I want to eat this, I want to eat this. And you're like, even if you want, say, a slice of cheesecake, you have to prepare two days in advance to starve yourself so you can have it, you know? To compensate so, for the fact that you've just eaten all yeah. these calories, yeah. Yeah, and then there's obviously overcompensating with uh, compulsive it exercise. It sounds like to me, Shane, that, yeah. it, you know, even having an eating disorder takes a huge amount of effort. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a huge amount of thought uh, goes into it. In other words, mm. the psychological aspect obviously is, is overwhelming, you know, in that mm. you have to put that much effort into, you know, being unwell. Yeah, it, it's a silent killer. You know, it's, it's a silent pandemic. I mean, if you take in consideration the amount of people that call organizations like BodyWise, like 60% of them are people who just want a listening ear. Yeah. And even, you know, nearly 10% of critical cases, which means they're on the verge of death. And then you, when you tie that into the idea that, you know, we, we love to talk about statistics and we love to put it into perspective. The main reason I came out about my story is to personalize it. Because, I mean, it's hard to put a statistic onto something. It's hard for me to say that the most common health condition 
of children's mental health illnesses and three quarters of that rise by 24. Whereas I could say that it could be your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. And what would you watch out for? If, if you're a mother or a father mm-hmm. or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife of somebody who you think or suspect may be in that situation, what are the kind of warning signs that you should look out for, apart from the obvious of losing weight, which, by the way, can have uh, it can be a side effect of many other illnesses as well? But I mean, yeah. what, what are the? What, I mean, what is it that you look out for if you're looking for the psychological, I suppose, signs? I, I, it's just the the idea of saying it. You know, saying if someone approaches you and saying, "Oh, I might have to lose weight in, uh, at this part of my body," or "I don't feel happy with this part," and if they start getting fatigued and not acting as themselves, if they have mood swings. And obviously, obviously, like you said, there's the physical aspect of losing weight, but also with that comes, you know, a change in personality or a lower mood or, you know, you, you watch their habits or, you know, some people might become agitated and they might pick up different tics or they might become more kind of closed off with talking about food or might get anxious. Or suppose, I suppose in your case as well, when you, when you talked about, you know, avoiding mm-hmm. those social occasions, you know, yeah. people who, you know, if you have a son or daughter who's quite young, maybe going upstairs and eating rather than eating with the family or, you know, constantly eating on their own or maybe not wanting to be around you when they want to go out for a meal, you, they kind of avoid it and say they're, they're busy doing something else. But I suppose ultimately this is a killer. I mean, it can kill you, of course, because mm-hmm. obviously lack of nutrition, the human body needs it, your organs eventually collapse and they die. Yeah. So it does kill people. It does, yeah, and it causes a, a lot of psychological distress. I mean, it, it's horrible for your concentration. I remember during the leaving search when it was at an almost peak, trying to sit the leaving search, trying to concentrate, trying to sit down in class for more than 30 well, of minutes. Of course, yeah, you're hungry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know what it's like myself. I think we all yeah. know what it's like. Yeah. If, you, if you haven't eaten for the day, how difficult it can be to concentrate yeah. on anything. You know, I'm, and I suppose um, what you're or what you're saying is is that we need to take it more seriously, and um, we need to take particularly as well in your case, men more seriously when mm. we talk about these things. We need to make it more accessible in the, uh, I suppose, the public hospitals and understand it better. Do you think we have a good understanding of it? I personally don't think so. Now, like, I don't want to bash anyone who's advocated, yeah, or any organisations that promote it, because if you look at lockdown in particular. I think this has been a monumental time for the promotion of mental health. We have so many young people, so many old people who have promoted for, you know, um, different organisations and for depression and for PETA House. But we also feel, like, and I know you've talked about it on the show, about the nursing homes and elderly and yeah. loneliness and how we've neglected them. So, again, we, we're contradicting ourselves a bit. We're, we're failing to neglect, or sorry, we are neglecting other aspects of mental health and compensating for something else. Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, I care obviously about the people in, in nursing homes and we've talked about that over the last week or so. Mm-hmm. But I should be doing it all the time, in other words, is the point you're saying. Like, it's not just during a pandemic. I should be caring about those people who are in vulnerable situations and not just elderly people like yourself yeah. in that vulnerable situation. Oh, but we should be talking about that more. Exactly. It's more that it is the talking about it. I mean, like like I mentioned prior, I mean, you have mental health conditions in eight-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 16-year-olds, you know, you imagine... What is, what is the, 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 the age generally that you will kind of see? That, I mean, is, is there a kind of common age that this seems yeah, to affect well, more so? It's more younger in females. So you can have it from 13 on to 17 to 18. It's very common. And then for males, it's slightly older. So it'd be 15, 16, even up to 18 is the starting point. So okay. there's a big, of a, a big lag phase in it for our males. But again, the issue with that is because males don't initially talk about it. So they could have it, 
but we don't know it because I think it's affecting men more so now because even when we look at men they're becoming more body conscious young men young lads yes. are becoming more body conscious yes. and Anthony makes a really good point in text here he says I know social media and reality TV is behind all of these eating mm. disorders uh, it really isn't taken seriously enough and I, I think he's right I mean nowadays we're seeing young lads and they're grooming their hair and there's nothing wrong with grooming your hair but, but they're grooming their hair and they're very body conscious as we would have seen, kind of been more typical, stereotypical of young girls yeah. nowadays. I've seen, I've noticed that, and, and it is certainly noticeable nowadays. So I think maybe it's becoming more common with young men. Yeah, it is definitely becoming like an image perspective. And again, like if you take like, you know, gap players and stuff like that, you know, they put out a pedestal to look big or rugby players to look big. And if you play gap rugby and you're small, you know, you're almost kind of thrown to the side. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, there's an image to it. And the same with the gym and everything like that. So there's a huge perception that image is something that needs to be upheld yeah. again yes that does link into social media but we cannot neglect how important social media is in promoting mental health and promoting different causes well again, mental health and physical health is more important than your image and always will be more yeah, important than your 100%. image I mean you, you've obviously now by the way just to mention as well you graduated as a public health professional yes, at UCC, did, yeah. So, yeah. and was that anything to do with your own problem that kind of drove you to do that as well um, actually initially I wanted to do nursing Okay, and I fell short by like five points and okay. I was like, I was bummed out, man. And I saw public health, and I was like, that, that's something that's really interesting. And I'm 100% delighted with life that I, I got this as my second choice because it has changed my life completely. And, and like, say, again, like my ignorance, but like alcoholism. I mean, yeah. you're okay now, Shane. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, I mean, how are you now? Are you okay now? Yeah, I'm uh, fully recovered now. Okay, but is, is it like kind of alcoholism? Is there always a possibility that somebody who's had it can slip back into it again quite yeah. easily? So a lot of it is, um, again, like I said, it's emotional coping mechanism. So uh, anything to do with grieving or uh, tragedy in your life or, you know, even if you inherit depression, it can trigger it. Again, like, I think we fail to understand that anorexia, bulimia, uh, bulimia and binge eating, they're complex genetic disorders as well. Mm-hmm. So say if your mother, if your father had or your brother and sister, it increases your risk by tenfold of having that condition, which is it's crazy to think about, but it's also such a behavioral thing. Like well, 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 a lot of these things, the same as obesity, can be environmental as well. They can be yeah, the people 100%. you live with and the, and the food habits, the eating habits that you've had as a child. Yeah. Uh, obviously. And by the way, just to give out, because somebody asked me about BodyWise, you, you mentioned BodyWise mm-hmm. a few times. The helpline, by the way, for BodyWise, if anybody wants to contact them, if you just need somebody to talk to you about it, is 01-21-07-906. That's 01-21-07-906. You also have set up a fundraiser as well. I did too. So we uh, kind of set up a 2,000 euro goal. And that goal was to provide 40 counseling sessions for an individual. Okay. So they could get the treatment that saved my life initially. Okay, so uh, this individual, you know this individual, yeah? No, no, it, it, it's just hypothetical. Oh, just for, for one yeah. person, I get you, yeah, I get you. Yeah. Get you. So it's just the idea to put people in the mindset that this is such a huge financial burden. That it's 2,000 euro, and I'm not going to undermine any psychiatrist, but it's 2,000 euro to talk. Yeah, he's a lot of money. Yeah, where it started, and I mean, to to think about thirty minutes costing you fifty euro, or an hour costing you fifty euro for a counseling it's session. Incredible amount of money, isn't and it? that's just that's an average. I mean, I'm not taking consideration different practices. This is basic, you know. Right. So, okay. And how can people donate to that if they want to donate? So I have um, an I donate set up. So if you just literally Google Shane Cray, Shane Cray Piper, I donate, it should pop up. I also have um, my Instagram is Shane Cray book it's on there and my Facebook Shane Cray so it's all available on my social media and if you just Google my name 
Okay, well, what, I, what I'll do is, if people don't remember that, mm-hmm. Shane, I'll get uh, Helena to pop a link up on our page yeah, and our Twitter account and et cetera, et cetera. All right. So if you want to go to the Niall Boylan show uh, on Facebook or the Niall Boylan Twitter account there or whatever it is, uh, you will find a link. I'll get Helena to do that now in the next few minutes. But just before you go, just uh, before I go back into the break, I was going to go to Mary as well, because Mary, you're on Classic Hits. You've been listening to Shane there. Um, you went through something similar with your daughter, did you? I did, yes. Hi. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And um, what age I, was she? Um, 13. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, she starts at 13. Um, I kind of wasn't really 100% because she never had a big appetite like her sister. Okay. But it went on and on. And then I realized that she's actually hiding her dinner. So I, was where I worked one night late. I worked part-time, but I had to do one late night a week. And my husband, I left the dinner ready for her, and I deliberately put stuff on the plate that I knew she didn't like, just to test, because I knew he wouldn't watch her. Yeah. And he said to me, I don't know what you're talking about when I came home from work. She cleared her plate. And I went, oh, did she? So I went out the back, and hidden at the very back of my shed, was a black sack, and in it was all her dinner, and I brought it in and showed it to him. He went, oh my God. So she was, every, so every day she was, she was dumping the dinner that you were giving her? Yeah, and you know what actually happened was, she was actually a brilliant hockey player, and she was in the goalie, right? And somebody came up and told her that she was, like, because she had so much gear on her, Yeah. and she, she was actually quite small, she had so much gear on her that she looked as if she was chubby. And somebody said to her, because she looks so cuddly, you're like a teddy bear. Oh, and that just made her feel worse then. Yeah. And she said it to me because I had a good chat with her. I ended, I ended up putting her in the hospital, but I took her out within about three days because she was learning more in there. You know, you're I, in there. No, no, I get what you're saying, yeah. yeah. You so, learned bad habits off a girl that was from Limerick or something else. I mean, and how is she How is she now? She is, she's bigger than I am. And she's <laughs> fine. Right. Okay, that's but great. But I mean, I had, like, it took a long time. You know, they're so cute. I, I come in, I come in, I only work part-time. I come in and she would have a half day and I'd be looking for her everywhere. She'd be asleep behind the, the armchair in the sitting room. So it was a huge psychological issue for her. And and during that time, by the way, you know, when you had the chats yeah. with her and everything else, and, and it's good to talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's all about talking to somebody. Yeah. I mean, what did you find yourself that your talking to her helped? Did it, did she start to eat then anyway? She kept on writing me this note, yeah. Yeah. And she goes, Mom, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be fat. I said, you're not fat. You're skin and bone. But you see, they see themselves as skinny. Uh, as fat and like she really she see, yeah, psychologically she could see herself differently to the way you saw her yeah of course absolutely yeah. I said you're, you know you're going to kill me I said and yourself if you keep this up she'd kill said. you with worry and she'd kill herself yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and she was always getting into my bed anyway yeah well I, I'm, Mary I'm delighted she's alright and by the way how did you find trying to get help for her was it did you find it it was difficult oh I got her into Vincent's hospital and um they said that actually I'd caught her early. Okay, good. But when I, but it turned out that when, I, when she was admitted, um, she was learning more things, like the way you, 
and her hair was long. So that she had her brother's fishing weights in the knot on the top of her head. Right. So that she'd weigh heavier. Right. And, oh. Okay. And they okay. were so cute. They had to... So you she know, was trying to fool them. To the t- right, you know, okay. like, allowed to go to the toilet, you know what I mean, before you get weighed. Right. But she would pour something into, into a, the container that she had. Just to make herself seem heavier. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She, she, oh, yeah, so she was trying to fool them. You know, I, I, I can imagine. Yeah, I was just listening to him, you know. and I Shane, just, yeah. Just a, Oh, brought it all back, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it is a huge problem. Mary, thanks for sharing that with us. I'm glad to hear your daughter's okay. And I'm saying sorry to rush you off the air, but I obviously have to go into a break. But listen, I really appreciate you coming on. I think you've highlighted something, and, and Mary obviously brought it back to her as well, and many other people around the country who are texting in at the moment. Uh, Shane, I wish you well, and, and I hope it never comes back to haunt you again. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that, Niall. Um, I just want to say, like, I, I did see your... Um, uh, there's an article when you came out about depression and... yeah. And I just want to say, like, I definitely want to, you know, express how happy I am to say that you really promoted it and promoted the issue in Ireland because, like, you're at such a pedestal and you're such a, I suppose, role model for so many people and to be able to come out about it is just incredible. And I just want to say personally thank you for coming out about your story. Okay, listen, thank you very much indeed. It was a, it was a tough road for a few years, but yeah, 100%. Uh, but thankfully I'm at the other side. But, but, but And again, you're right, it's because I talk to people. Yeah, 100%. You know, you have to reach out and talk to yeah. people. I mean, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for somebody who rang me at three o'clock in the morning when I was standing up in Hoth Head. So, mm-hmm. And then obviously I met the right person in my life as well yeah. who's completely changed my life. So you're right, it, it is talking that, to people, yeah. you know. Listen, Shane, yeah. thank you. You're going to bring me to tears thanks now. Listen, thanks very much, that. Shane. All right, appreciate it. All right, there you go, Shane Cray. If you want more information, by the way, you can go to my Twitter account, my Facebook account, and there's information there on Shane um, and what he went through there. You can go there and you can donate. And all he wants to do is raise a few quid, theoretically, to help one person because it is expensive. It's expensive to get treatment and it's expensive to see the right people to help people. And sadly, people do die from anorexia nervosa. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.